I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. In the three months to October 2023, central banks around the world have been raising interest rates, one effect of this being to increase costs to globally systemically important banks by around $16 billion for every half a percentage point rate hike. It's all a matter of liquidity. And the biggest lesson for both bankers and regulators from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank earlier this year is, according to Philip Straley, president of FNA, the management of intraday liquidity, especially in the face of the rising pace of financial transactions and payments. But first, do you want to access the multi-billion dollar fintech opportunity in the Middle East or India? If the answer is yes, then join the CEDA IBSI Fintech Lab and fast-track your journey of market expansion with us. As a FinTech Lab member, you'll have access to skilled mentors and have the opportunity to learn, network, and collaborate with like-minded individuals, building your knowledge base, skills, and connections. Visit www.cedaribsifintechlab.com. And now, back to Philip Straley, President of Advanced Network Analytics and Simulation Firm, FNA. We're talking about life after Silicon Valley Bank. It seems amazing to me at one level that it was only six months ago. It feels a much, much longer time away than it actually is. My view is that what Silicon Valley Bank and you know the other regional banks, plus, frankly, actually, I think with the larger types of banks, you know, the large global systemically important banks, I think Credit Suisse actually had perhaps even a bigger impact than SVB in people's consciousness. What I think it has changed is I think that it has refocused both regulators, you know, who I who I think had a Frankly, the U.S. regulators in particular had a lot of egg on their face over this, but it is refocused regulators and it's also refocused banks' boards quite substantially. Not just the importance of liquidity, the importance of liquidity has always been there, but in particular, the importance of intraday liquidity and having strong visibility and controls around sources and uses of intraday liquidity and things that that can impact that. You know, I think what what hasn't changed is that, you know, banking has always been a confidence game. Everything's about trust. It really comes down to your reputation in the end. The other lesson from this is that in an age of social media, in an age of faster payment systems or instant payment systems, things can just move much, much more quickly in ways and with dynamics that we hadn't seen in traditional liquidity crisis 30, 50, 70, 100 years ago. There are lessons for the regulators, no doubt. But you said that banking was a confidence game. I could shorten that for you and say banking is a con game. <laughs> and at one level, it is because if you look at what banks used to look like. They used to look like Greek temples, like Roman temples. And there was actually a reason for that. Mm. That kind of image projection is no longer important. Have we proved that any bank is a potential problem with what's happened to Silicon Valley Bank, what happened to Credit Suisse, what happened to the others in the United States? Banks with assets less than $250 billion aren't important. Oh, yes, they are. They are now. Robin, I, th I think I think the answer is yes, we have proved that any bank is vulnerable. And 
you know, really what you have is you have your reputation and you have customer and creditors confidence in you. And you have certain things you could do to to manage that. But if you don't, any bank is vulnerable. You know, and as, as I said, I think that very, very few people particularly would have seen Credit Suisse as being substantially vulnerable. I mean, all their liquidity ratios, capital ratios were strong. Yes, they had slipped on a number of banana peels over uh, over the ensuing two or three years with Achegos and, and other issues. And obviously, they had seen a lot of outflows in their wealth management business. But in the end, I think few other bankers or frankly, regulators would have seen them being, being vulnerable or substantially vulnerable. So I think that's been proven wrong. Banking management, adequate banking management, because obviously we proved that certain people were inadequate. What needs to be done to ensure adequate management? As you'd be aware, and I think you've been in this game since you know quite a quite a while before the global financial crisis of two thousand seven, eight, nine. You know what what has changed in the banking industry is you have seen much more focus on having higher capital and liquidity ratios. You know, but you know when we're talking about you know maintenance of high quality liquid assets, liquidity reserves against intraday liquidity, much higher capital ratios, but you know, if you still look at the structure of even a well-capitalized or uh, a bank that has strong liquidity ratios, you're still looking at institutions that are very leveraged compared to a non-banking institution. And so in the end, what you need to be managing, obviously, are not just your regulatory ratios, but you need to be managing at the coalface intraday liquidity, which requires that you have very strong management information, not just about your regulatory liquidity ratios, but also your mix of counterparties, your mix of customer deposits, the payment dynamics that you have in your own bank, whether those are your own intragroup payments or whether those are your central bank facing payments, um, which you can either be making directly or you could be making via correspondent banks. Smaller banks tend to go via correspondence. You need to have very, very good, not only visibility, but also controls around how those payments are managed intraday and need to have automated controls in place to control the flow of those payments. That's true for any healthy bank. And you need to understand the dynamics of your intraday liquidity usage during not just a normal day, but also have a good understanding about how that's going to play out during during stress periods. Those are the fundamental things, you know, and you'd be aware, Robin, that post the 2007-2008 global financial crisis, the Bank for International Settlements put in place something called BCBS 248, which are standards for intraday liquidity management and monitoring. The reality is that the implementation of those has been very uneven around the world. You have some jurisdictions. The UK is one of the jurisdictions, actually, that has been more prescriptive around how that's been implemented here in the UK. Other other jurisdictions, I would say, quite uneven. And as you alluded to as well, 
in a place like the United States, there are very different standards for larger banks versus even what in most jurisdictions would be considered pretty large banks, but in the U.S. actually had not been. Certainly what's happened over the last six to, six to seven months is that in those jurisdictions that hadn't taken those liquidity monitoring and management standards so seriously, I think that's certainly refocused the mind of the regulators and hence the market. You keep mentioning intraday. Is intraday enough? Do we have or should we be moving to real time? <laughs> again, again, great question. So, I mean, yeah, if you if you really want to manage intraday um, well, you need to be here in, in real time or near real time, which you can only do through technology. But yes, absolutely. It has to be it has to be real time. But also where I thought you were going with that question is that absolutely intraday is not enough in the sense that, you know, when, you know, most crises, even even very fast moving crises, as we saw with SVB and the other regional banks in the U.S. and Credit Suisse, you know, they're multi-day affairs, you know, that ultimately come down to, you know, the basic fundamentals of do counterparties and do depositors have trust in a bank or not? Does a bank have control of the narrative around that to, to be able to manage against that trust? And then does it have the backup facilities and lines in place, not just with the commercial market, so say other banks, but also with also with central banks? What does this mean? Again, pressing you on a point we've already touched on. What does this mean for regulators? Because this is obviously something that is not going to come from the banking industry itself. It's going to come from regulatory imposition. Life for bankers is getting more complicated. What about life for regulators? You know, I, I believe that there are as many or perhaps even more lessons for regulators out of, out of SVB and Credit Suisse than there are for the banks. We're actually in a pretty good, we as FNA are in a pretty good position to understand this in that we actually serve both sides. You know, so we work substantially with commercial banks in the liquidity space, particularly around optimizing liquidity and putting in place very smart controls for liquidity management. But we also work with a lot of central banks around the world in what is termed soup tech or providing supervisory technology. I think that historically, the vast majority of central banks have underinvested in their own liquidity monitoring capabilities. And that that is going to have to change. Finally, is this going to happen again? The short answer is yes. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, we're in a complex world and we're in, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're in a world where, you know, new things like faster or instant payment systems and the impacts of social media and the impacts of concentrated, uh, you know, concentrated types of institutions. So in the case of SVB, it was very much around, you know, the fact that they they banked a particular sector. Everybody in that sector is uh, highly interconnected. You know, they're all invested by a tight network of venture capital firms, et cetera. So these are like new dynamics. But ultimately, when it comes to liquidity crisis, it comes down to trust and the ability of the bank to control the narrative around everything that impacts trust. And the reality is, the structural reality of banks is that if you look at a bank versus any non-bank, versus against any type of non-bank business, 
in the world is that they're still very, very leveraged institutions. So it all comes down to them being a confidence game and the ability to be able to manage against that. Philip Straley, president of FNA.